Hello and welcome to The Mindful Entrepreneur. I'm John Mackin and we're on a mission to help every person on this planet create mindful living experiences for themselves and others. So come listen in as we share how you can combine the fulfillment of entrepreneurship with the gift of mindfulness. Yeah, I'm really excited with today's guest. He is uh, the Managing Director of Asset-Based Finance and Leasing Limited, and he's also a Director of the National Association of Commercial Finance Brokers. So there's not much about finance that this guy does not know. And uh, his name's Mike Deacon. Welcome, Mike. Hello, John. Nice to see you. No pressure there, then, with that introduction. Gosh, <laughs> I'm on a hiding to nothing, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We will see. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me today, Mike. I know there's um, there's a lot of experience um, that you've got in just business generally, but also the finance and all different areas of uh, of finance. So I'm very excited to get stuck into that. Um, but to begin with, uh, something that I would just love to know is why finance? Um, good question. That's a good question. Um, when I was at university, I always wanted to work in the city. I was actually studying for a geography degree. And um, I was at university and unfortunately I had a rather unfortunate experience with my parents because um, my father was working, had a massive heart attack and did, couldn't work. And I was just about to sit my first year exams the day before and all hell broke loose. And I just dropped my tools and basically looked after my family. I didn't go back and finish my degree. I went to work. I went to work in the city. Um, he recovered. Uh, six months later, we moved house, and then my mum died. So that was fun. Mm. So, and I was engaged. I was engaged at the time to my wife. I'm married to now, still, forty-three plus years on. And um, yeah, it was a very, very difficult, traumatic time. So yeah, she died after we moved house in a blizzard, and uh, she, uh, unfortunately, looking back now, she she contracted a, uh, an infection, became sepsis, and it just shut her body down. Was it? Nothing we could do. Wasn't diagnosed at the time, so mm. yeah, it's a, it's one of those things. So that's I always wanted to work in the city, so I did, and I worked in the city for major banks. Built my career on that very quickly, and um, yeah, I worked on some fantastic projects for about 10, 15 years, and I worked, and, and then my career went into into the private sector. So wow, yeah. and so what are you studying at, at university? Just out of interest, I was doing a geography degree, and and it, it oh. came in very handy for me. Because um, my, I went to university college and my, and my, and my university don, don, John Adams, bless his heart, was a great bloke. We just got on like a house on fire. He was, really, he was a really lovely guy, loved his, loved his work. And um, I kept in touch with him, even though I didn't finish my degree. And it proved, proved very useful because um, about nine years after I left and went to work in the city, I ended up working for a major... Japanese AAA rated bank called um, Industrial Bank of Japan, which is now part of Mizuho Banking Group. And they were the lead bank for about 1.6 billion of a 5 billion investment for Eurotunnel. And I had the lucky job with two Japanese colleagues of being on the committee of 30 that actually negotiated the Channel Tunnel construction contract, which was two years of my life, lots of travel, lots of arguments and the whole edifice was built on 
that 55 year concession given by the French and, and, and English governments that runs out in nine years time, by the way, that's quite fun and games. Um, and uh, it was designed so that effectively the funding was carved up uh, after the 10 construction companies, five UK and five French, carved up what they were gonna do. And then we had to retrofit, back retrofit the construction contract to be able to meet the debt serviceability for the, the channel tunnel. So the story is, I, I was speaking to my, 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 uh, my colleague and friend, John Adam, and we talked about this. And I said to him, it's a lemon. And he went, yeah, it's a lemon, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's a lemon, because you've got a tube that's 25 miles long. You run a train that's a certain length. You have to have 90 second gaps between those trains. So you can only run a finite number of trains, whether they're passenger or cargo, freight, in, a, in those tunnels, two ways, right? And they were building a business model that was built on sand because you were competing against all the, all the ferry companies and air. It was never going to make the money it was going to ever make. It was a complete white elephant. Engineering, fantastic. Beautifully built, bit late, but beautifully built. And all the banks piled in because they thought the government would bail them out. Nope, the government didn't bail them out. We all know what happened. All the debt converted to equity. Mm. There you go. That is... HS2, I'll leave that one an open door. <laughs> I mean, like already we're only a couple of minutes in, but it sounds like you've already what 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 uh sort of part of your career was that the the channel tunnel funding? Well, was that, that was a, on, time. Yeah, that was at a time where I'd been working at several banks. I was running um I started working in foreign exchange and then worked and did um, international loans. So I did a lot of uh, loans admin. Then I worked running some um, some large tax-based loan portfolios in Latin America, which is a real barrel of laughs. Basically, men with suitcases going in with dollars to protect their, you know, as a hedge against currency, and you're lending them the same money back, fully cash collateralized. I was running a massive book of that with us with, with, with at the time what was Swiss Bank, which is now part of UBS. So I worked there before I left to work for the Japanese. So I was doing some really, and then the Japanese thing was doing project finance. I did oil and gas projects. I did um, sort of major construction, of course, Channel Tunnel. So I did a lot of really interesting, big ticket, international funding. So yeah, I, I cut my teeth doing a lot of sort of, you know, what I call overseas funding. Wow. That, and there's a real legacy to that too, by, by the sound of it. I mean, everyone knows what the, the Channel Tunnel is. So. Yep. Um, yep. And, and just to go back a step then, so you said that uh, you didn't finish the university degree, your dad had yep. a heart attack, and then what What kind of timescale was there between that and your mum passing away? Uh, I started work literally uh, within two weeks of leaving university because there was no money coming in the house. Mm. So that was quite interesting. Yeah. And then when my dad went back to work, he was able to earn money again. But in that time, mum already she had already had one heart attack at fifty. She started sixty. So, uh, so yeah, it was a uh, it was a really um, traumatic time. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So you really sort of took on that, you know, the ownership of being the kind of I suppose stereotypical nowadays, but like stereotypical man of the house. Yeah, I, I yeah. stepped in because who else was going to do it? Mm. Yeah. And and um, I mean, it's interesting because obviously we know each other um, for, you know, a bit of time now. I, I, I wasn't aware of that, but 
it was interesting because um my mum passed away when i was uh 20 years old actually yeah 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 i was i was i was 19 just 19 wow. yeah exactly the same so interesting, no, I didn't know yeah. that either. So interesting. And wow. what, so what would you say, because most university students, I mean, I didn't go to university, but I went to sixth form college and I knew a lot of people that went to university. And I mean, I would say that becoming the breadwinner for their entire family and the entire household would have been, you know, the last thing on their mind. And whether they would have been able to do it or not is hypothetical. I don't know, but it's a big burden. So like what what was the kind of you said that the the whole point was who else was going to do it so there was no choice so do you Correct. think how much impact has that had on your career because you it sounds like very quickly you went into these huge contracts and like real legacy contracts yeah. how much impact would you say that had on you progressing through your career from that point onwards um it made me self-reliant and it's Quite strange. It's a really good question, John, to ask because I always found myself working either in isolation or in small teams, and I've done that all my working career. Um, yes, I've run businesses, and you have to delegate to people, and you've got to trust those people to deliver what you ask them to do. Uh, but I'm one of those people that has reasonably sort of high personal standards, so I'm quite happy being uh, a solopreneur or a solo manager. I'm quite happy working in small teams or in isolation on my own. Um, it's not a control thing. It's just the fact that I just find that a much more uh, challenging and a more, a more productive way of working for me. Some would argue that um, completely against it. And I completely understand why. You know, if you're running a, a large multinational organization, you have to delegate like stink. You really, really do. And you have to be really good at being brutal at delegation and brutal at actually cutting away unnecessary um, um, faff. When you work for yourself, you do that naturally, as opposed to actually telling people to do it. Uh, and I, I, I must admit, I do like people who are self-motivated, um, quite happy to actually make, make decisions and not afraid to make mistakes because you do make mistakes. Mm. And it's um, something that you have to learn to manage over time. Um, the downsides, of course, are that you're putting a lot of burden and pressure on yourself. That, that goes with the territory. Um, but you get used to managing that. Mm. And would you say, you know, because the the sort of concept of growing a business of any type and any size is is going to take on risk, it's going to take on a certain element of discomfort as as you grow and how, how do you because if you haven't got teams like for me in my business we, we've got teams we've got remote teams um for build projects that sort of thing but how do you kind of you know let off the steam that that comes in because it I, I imagine that if it's mainly you that's taken on the burden then you know where do you what what is it you do to kind of keep your mind sane for, for want of a better word mindful <laughs> Yeah, for my, I think the answer to that is do something completely different in your downtime and, and make your downtime valuable. So whilst I was, you know, still engaged, not married, um, I made sure that my focus was bringing money in, saving it because I wanted to get married um, as soon as I could uh, to my fiance, now wife, and get a property. 
and um, my parents really valued what I was doing um, because they knew that I was there just for them. I, I just did it completely selflessly. I had no family. My, my mother was Italian. All her family were in Italy and America and Germany. None of them could get to us. Um, and my father had a really difficult family relationship with his family. They all sort of, you know, he was estranged from all of them. So really it was just a, you know, a very small unit of three people, you know, parents and me. I had no brothers or sisters. Well, I did. I had sisters. I found that out by accident. Um, I shouldn't have known about it. My dad was divorced. I didn't know. And uh, I found out one day when I, my mum asked me to open a letter for her literally about a year before she passed away because she'd left the reading glasses and I suddenly found out I've got two stepsisters. There wow. you go. Yeah. So I've had an interesting life. I don't regret any of it. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not unhappy to share that because that's history. It's gone. It's, it, it shaped my thinking. I was a bit annoyed at the time because I wish they'd been honest with me and told me, but they were trying to shield me from something I didn't need to know about, which is mm. what I understand completely. And, you know, I, and, and I found that out and it sort of, I found that out just before, you know, my parents had their issues and, you know, one nearly died and the other did within six months. So mm. yeah, it's, um, it was, it was really tough, but my, my dad who survived um, went through a difficult period after that because he, he was racked with guilt and all that sort of thing, which, I think he probably felt really bad about what happened to, to, to my mum, but it wasn't his fault. I just don't think he knew how to cope, mm. even at his age. He just, it, for him, it was really, it was pretty cataclysmic for him. So I had to support him, even though he went through real trauma afterwards. And he did, you know, he knew that I was there for him and, uh, and he was there for me and helped, helped me and my, my new wife to start a life, which was just great. So things have a habit of, you know, doing, doing, you know, of coming right for you. So for me, it was always about think of others first. And I was doing that from a, a young age without really realizing it. And I've done that all through the rest of my life. And you can ask more questions about that later if you want. Yeah. And um, I mean, wow, this is, it's a really kind of powerful story um, about, you know, not knowing that you had the, the stepsisters and, and did, did you ever make contact with them or are you in contact with them? Uh, the letter was a begging letter for money. Right. There you go. Which got the uh, prompt response of go in the bin. But I think my parents were mortified that I found out by accident. They didn't plan it. It just happened. Mm. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was a shock at the time, but in a way, I understood. I, they told me a bit more about the background, and uh, I understood a lot more after that. So I see. Yeah, you can't be angry about something you're not in control with because you're the innocent party. So you can't lose any anything over that. People's lives are people's lives. Look, nowadays, people have you know multiple relationships. It happens. It's how you deal with it. You know, they were in, in those days. It was much more old fashioned. People didn't marry, you know, easily if, you know, you, you know, you're old or a second marriage or you're marrying a divorcee and you came from another country and there's a lot of post-war sort of angst going on. I'm you know, being Italian, coming to the UK as an au pair. It's, it doesn't read well and it gives you an insight into how people were and that they stereotype you into a place where you don't want to be. Um, they think you're 
something that you're not, which is, you know, if you've got ability, you need to have the opportunity to show that and they immediately pigeonhole you in the thick as mince bracket, which does happen. So I've, I've seen the sharp end of, let's say, uh, divisiveness in society. And uh, it makes you feel that you've got to do something to rage against that machine. And that rage against the machine is doing something good for society, building a reputation where you help people first, think of yourself second. Um, so and that gives you a lot more comfort and it makes you able, better able to deal with issues as you, as you go through your life. And hopefully it gives you a little bit of a backbone uh, and you build respect because you have to earn that. You can't just buy it, you have to earn it. Mm. So like the, the sort of adding of value to people is what helps kind of with you know, counterbalance the sort of the challenges and the stress and the strain that comes from from being in business. Yep. It, it yep. Relatively on your own. Yeah, you mm. can manage because I suppose I, you know I lived all my life, you know, being sort of fighting the world. That's how it feels. But mm. I found my soulmate. I was very lucky. I found my soulmate really early in life, and uh, that. <laughs> you, it's the value of having a soulmate that you can absolutely rely on and, and care for and love. You, you can be a multi-millionaire and you would never get even a scintilla of what that value is. Not a scintilla. I've worked with some very, very powerful, rich people. Um, you know, I worked for two multi-millionaires after I left the city and worked for you know, sort of private and quoted companies, which I did. I worked for some really tough business people. They were they, they loved their family, but they were brutal in business. Learned a lot of lessons from that. But the biggest lesson I learned is the fact that um, they too were fighting, and they were using using building a business as a powerful shield against their own insecurities. And actually, you realise quite you know, I realised reasonably you know at a reasonably early age as I've got great family and I'm satisfied that I'm helping people and actually giving something back to society not just from work but from your whole life that I'm actually going to be you know I'm going to be a very rich person I have great memories and that's I've done that all through my life I'm still doing it now and I'll continue to do it until you know the engine runs out mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting that because I think um something you just touched on there you know i'm a firm believer that being rich or poor is just a mindset ultimately and you know it can be sort of perceived through tangible things but ultimately two people can have the same things and have a very different perspective on whether they're rich or poor or you know happy or not happy so it's it's uh, really interesting that you touched on that about really the adding value and the sort of satisfaction that comes from that is is yeah. the true and, and there's no money to it because, you know, I did a lot of stuff when uh, I got married and we had children. We invested in time in our kids. So, you know, my daughter's a musician and we encouraged her to be the best that she could be as a musician from a very early age when she demonstrated that she clearly had talent. And she really does have talent. Um, and is now running her own successful choir business. She's working as a you know, musical director for... for, for productions in the West End and, and around the UK. She's, you know, and she lives, breathes, eats, sleeps music. That's what she does. 
So uh, we've encouraged her to follow her dream and she's really enjoying her dream and she's having a, you know, a really, really interesting life. Um, and I, I, my son is very happy. He's, you know, he's, he's married. Been married what now, gosh, five, nearly six years now. And uh, he's happy. You know, he's found his soulmate in at university and we encouraged him to be the best of what he wants to be. And he loves sport. And we did a lot of work um, with young people from before we had children, we ran youth clubs. And then when we had the children, I then ran a football club for 15 years. So I was giving my time sort of you know, outside work. So weekends, Friday through Monday was either playing football, coaching football, or watching football to support my son. And, you know, my wife supported my daughter with all her music activities I did during the week as well. So we gave to our kids the opportunity to be independently minded, follow what they love doing, and to make sure that they were happy with their careers so they could actually you know, think for themselves. Mm. A lot of people do this, and it's just the unsung silent majority that just do that with their family. Yeah. We here in life is screaming minorities the whole time blathering on about stuff and it's white noise it's white noise i'm not going to comment on it but it, it's white noise just ignore it the real people are the people who are, are the unsung quiet heroes who just get on and do good stuff you never hear about them because without them you don't have a society so we wanted our kids to be independently minded to contribute to society in their own ways, to be happy in their own selves and to find their soulmates so they can have a life together too. Because there'll come a point when, you know, keep saying the engine will stop and it will for all of us. Mm. So you've just got to make sure you leave that right legacy behind with the right values, right memories, happy memories, mm. and a, a positive attitude going forward so you, you know, you feel fulfilled in your life. And, um, it's, yeah, some really, really, really powerful points you make there. And I know that from what I know of you, and obviously we met through networking, uh, which is all about, you know, uh, in the network we're in, it, it's all about givers gain. So you've got to give first before you receive. And I think that that's true in life too. And yes. uh, it's interesting that you said about the, you know, sometimes people use the business or their business as like a, something to kind of, try and fill a gap or avoid in in their own personal life for example and what what's interesting is i know uh that you you network a lot you know obviously we met through networking but you've got contacts globally you're part of global teams that that network regularly and you yep. have a lot of what we call one-to-ones with people you have chats with people about their business and your business yep. Yep. i wonder if how much do you think that that's as a result of you not having that sort of you know you, you said yourself that it was just like the the three of you you know you had the kind of families dotted around they were also global but would you say that that is maybe you trying to fill that void or 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 replace what you know was there no, I, don't, the I don't think so I, I don't think so i think for me um what i want to try and do over the next you know well, however long I'm, I'm here for um is actually give something back. And if I can extend the reach of my giving something back beyond, you know, my own local, because you have, you have, you know, sort of local spheres and you have regional, national, international. I don't see boundaries. I just don't see them. COVID was a disruptor 
and it was a, a bad disruptor and a good disruptor. And I bring it to the, to the to now because what we've just gone through is a metamorphosis we've never seen in our lifetimes. Humanity hasn't gone through what we've gone through. Not since the Spanish flu, none of us were alive for that, or most of us weren't alive for that, just after the First World War. And we had it again. And it's run its course. It has run its course. It's, it's there, but it's now manageable, treatable. But we had two years of complete and utter sort of what the hell do we do? Um, and I use that to grow my international piece because you're only as good as the people that you've touched in your lives, either emotionally or in business or personally. People are your best advocates if you treat them right. So if you give without condition, and I've said this, you've heard me say this on occasions before, if you give without condition and you just say, I'm happy to help you, that sticks. Mm. Because I, I, keep, I use the circularity of everything. Everything is a circle, a circle of life. It's, it's, it, it's across everything you do, whether it's personal or business. To try and do something good, because it makes you feel good. It helps somebody who wasn't actually you know, looking for it or may not realise they need it until they get it. And if they benefit from it, they'll think of you and go, that's thanks to mine. Not everyone does it. And I don't expect everyone to do it. Some people will. And if you touch those lives in a positive way, they'll keep coming back to you. And that's when, that's when opportunity happens. Whether it's in personal, whether it's in business, opportunities happen for a reason. But you've got to create the climate, you've got to create the ecosystem, that you, your personal ecosystem, to enable you to have because mm. you're putting that sort of that frequency out there or whatever you know resonates with people the frequency you're putting the message out there you're putting that yep. vibration yep. out there and um it's powerful to to hear you say that actually because you know a lot of the time um i certainly used to think business was was business personal was personal you know different identities different types of people and you know yes we might wear different sort of hats uh, to deal with different situations, but really, what what you're saying is that it's all about adding value, whether it's in a personal relationship, family, intimate, friends, business, everything you do, mm. everything you do, John, everything. And uh, when if you know you you know I had a an illness issue which I mercifully you know had dealt with, which is great. About eighteen months ago, that opened my eyes another way which is actually make time for you. Don't be everyone's slave. Do good for other people, but look after yourself better. You, know, you only have one body, one life. Fill it full of stuff. So work hard, sure, but play hard or even harder. Why? Because you've got to enjoy the fruits of your labour. So we all work to basically make enough to make a, a reasonable living and keep you know ourselves and our, our, the, the family that matter to us, our friends that matter to us, okay. That's mm. what we try and do, right? 99.999% of the world's population will never be rich in money. Those who are scream loudly. Okay? They're screamers. And what do you even, even the so-called even the so-called you know, philanthropic, uh, philanthropic entrepreneurs, they're screamers too. But all we're screaming is, look at me, I'm giving stuff back. You know, their man, their woman can't spend their money. 
So what are you going to do with it? Nelson Rockefeller had the big problem way back in the 19th century because he was scared. He was always counting his money. And then he discovered philanthropy. It was actually like going to the confessional. If you're a Catholic, you go to a confessional and say three Hail Marys and an Our Father. And your, and your redemption is give money away because you're releasing a burden. Okay? Mm. So money isn't everything. All money is a facilitator to make you do more good. Now, people don't say it that way because it's not very sexy and it's not very in vogue, okay? You just see- again, Mike. Just say that description again. I think that was really powerful. Yeah. Money, money isn't sexy. It isn't a sexy thing, okay? All it does, it's a facilitator. It enables you to do things that are good, that don't involve money. They give you the bandwidth of time to actually do something for no, for no, no other reason but to help somebody else. Mm. It gives you the benefit of charity, both personal charity and donational charity. It gives you the benefit to try and be a better person. I, I now want to be a better me every single day. It might be a small thing. It might be a big thing, but something. So I'm trying to help somebody every day. Mm. My poor wife sometimes thinks, why are you sitting at your desk working like a complete and utter, you know, you're, you're working like a dervish. And some days I'm absolutely, you know, long days for me. But at the back of my mind, I'm always thinking of, of trying to find ways to help other people not just necessarily for my own gain, because I still need I still need to you know, pay bills and make enough to actually sort of be rewarded for my effort. Of course I do. I'd be foolish to say that I don't. But it's not my driver. Because you don't need pots of money. You need enough to be comfortable. We all strive to be comfortable. And without being political about this, I think there's um, a lot of people that could learn some very valuable lessons from the silent majority who just do the right thing. It's not fashionable. It doesn't make you, you know, seriously wealthy. But at the same time, they're rich people. They're far richer than those with wealth and those with worries and always looking over their shoulder. You can be wealthy and you can do the right things, but you've got to have a good heart. If you don't have a good heart, what's the point of it? Truly, mm. what's the point of it? And I mean, I'm I'm still just running that over my head that money is a facilitator to do more good. I I don't think I'll forget that for a while. And what what do you do? You said you 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 know if you're working hard, you're doing a lot to add value. You play harder. So what do you do for for play? I know you're a big football fan. Yeah, I do. I, I, my, my love of football goes back to when I was a very small boy. So for me, and for my sins, you know, when people say who do you follow, you know, I'm a, I'm a Palace fan. The next thing is, well, you've never won a cup. I, I, one of my friends actually gave me a Crystal Palace mug that said, this is a mug not to be confused with a cup. So even though it, it was, the poor man was a deluded Chelsea fan, it made me, it made me smile because it was actually humour. And it was, it was nice. It was thoughtful humour. Yes, it was having a dig at me, but it was actually a nice... I, I use it because I don't feel bad about it because I, I, I see the funny side. Um, so, yeah, I love, I love my sport. I love most sports, to be honest with you, because I find that, that that sort of element of competition is good because it's man striding against man. I, I know there's money involved in, in football and in other sports now. But but the art of competition without a monetary benefit um, for you know the vast majority, those who watch because it's entertainment as much as it is uh, a recreational facility. Um, so, yeah, I like sport. Uh, I like 
staying as healthy as I can, despite you know, despite my you know, body deciding that it's, it's going to get a bit creaky, which it is. But you've got to stay fit. Healthy mind, healthy body is really good. Um, and yeah, investing time with other people. So you know, for me, a lot of downtime is taking more time out to see the world and holidays. Uh, go and help other people, which I do from time to time, uh, quite happily. Um, having a good no network of friends who have a similar mindset, uh, which I'm very fortunate I do. Um, but making sure that you're not afraid to sort of make time for others who may need your help. So mm. you do that too. So yeah, spending your life and having a work-life balance that, you know, it's not all about work. Work enables you to have um, a wider choice in the wider sphere of life. That's what you've got to have. You've got to have that balance. So be efficient when you work. You don't have to work like a complete Trojan, slave to the desk. Take time out. If you can do it, and you're lucky enough to do it, do it. Not everyone can, unfortunately. And it, I don't want to sound trite or patronising because there are so many people out there that are working really hard, doing what they do to the best of their ability. And there's a lot of people who take others for granted. Mm. don't it's such a big mistake value what anyone does because they're doing the best that they can to the level of their ability to do that best and respect that best doesn't matter how menial the work is or how insignificant it might be it's just as valuable mm. it's so it true because yeah, obviously ev everything is being done for some reason and you know, if something, no matter how small it, it seems or maybe perceived to be, is not being done, you'd notice that it wasn't being done. So it's important to, to value that too. And um, so I was just wondering, what, what would you say to, because, you know, a lot of people get to a point where something gives. And, you know, I, I hear a lot about it in business, especially, especially with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, even more so, um, where it's, you know they're working for a certain goal or an outcome to say okay once i get here then i can do less or i can spend more time doing this thing or this thing whatever it is they love but then something gives like you said with with health and then that's like the wake-up call that the universe is trying to to give to say something it might be take more time out slow down what you know change path slightly change industry even change job change it could be any any number of things but what would you say, because myself, for example, sometimes I get caught up in this feeling of, you know, I can do more, I, I need to be doing more. And, you know, there's that tendency to get caught up in it. And I only realize I'm there once I'm halfway through. So then I have to sort of almost come down from that, what can seem like a high of statistics and numbers and trying to get this happen and making phone calls and, and that sort of thing. But what would you say, um, to people that maybe haven't had that kind of, let's call it a wake up call, you know, whatever the universe decides to do, um, to, to not need to have the wake up call in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, plan for the worst. Plan for the worst and plan it early, is what I would say. Give yourself a life plan. I never did this when I was younger. I've only done it as I got older. Um, it, it seems to be an age-driven thing. So apologies for anyone who's you know under the age of 35 watching this. Good luck with that, probably. Um, that will include plan, <laughs> plan, Yeah, plan for life now. 
plan and have goals and change those goals regularly because they will change. But make sure you plan downtime. Whatever that downtime is, I know you do your triathlete stuff, which is really fantastic. Um, but be careful you don't overdo it because I know people who are active triathletes who've got a bit older, you know, body says, nah, I can't do this anymore. So know your body, know when. I mean, I, I, I had a Damascene moment for me when I was 50, I was, in, I was in Cyprus on holiday and I had a complete physical check by the physio, Apo Nicosia, who knew my friends who lived there. And he was an ex-footballer that played, I think, in the Scottish uh, top division, played for Dundee United. So he told me, I have to believe it, but he was a very good physio. Anyway, he gave me a complete top to toe and I was probably two stone heavier than I am now because I'd sort of let myself go and I was focused on work. And um, I just started my business, believe it or not, at that time. I literally was six months in, I was working like a complete nutcase. And I was still playing football. I was still playing every week. He said to me, you got two choices, laddie. Stop now and enjoy a long life or keep playing and be completely unable to walk well and live without pain by the time you're 60. You're cool. So there was no in-between. It was one or the other. Yep. I spoke to my wife and I said, I love football, but I, I want a life that I can actually live well beyond 60. So here I am, I'm now 65, I swim twice a week, I walk wherever I can walk, you know, long distance. I'm two and a bit, two and a half stone lighter than I was at the time, and I'm a lot happier. My mind is still active. Mind, body, you know, that sort of karma and making sure that everything's in sync. Yeah, I'm still carrying a bit too much baggage, I know that, but not baggage I was carrying. And, um, you, when you've got physicality, use it. Don't waste it. So go and visit lots of places. As if time and money allow, don't say, oh, I wish I could go on holiday. I wish I could see something. I wish I could do something. Do it. Don't talk about it. Do it. Just book time out. Do it. Doesn't matter how small or big the, the, you know, the, the, the action is, whether it's giving time out for a charity, helping people you know, who need help, maybe physical help, or maybe doing a walk or a trek or visiting a country you've never seen before. I'm doing all of those things this year in different ways. It's great. I'm, I can't wait. The holiday bit is not necessarily the other stuff. I still help friends and family. I do that because you, you've got to do that. Um, yeah. And I've, got, I've got a, yeah, and I've got a friend now, and strangely enough, I'm helping, I'm, I'm helping in a very strange way. Uh, I'm just on the end of the phone being like a Samaritan to a friend who... Um, her husband's the same age as me, and he literally went in for a routine, you know, operation, um, sort of just to create a heart irregularity. And he's had seven operations and on life support. He's just coming out the other side. That's three weeks in the last three weeks. His wife's been ringing me up regularly. I won't say the name of the person because that's not right. But uh, mm. I said I can help professionally with your bits that you have professionally, which I've been able to do, and. She's taken my advice and done exactly the right thing. And I said, when he's better and comes back home, because he's making a recovery, slow, very slow, but he will make a recovery. I'll go and see him. 
um, the, the two of them with my wife. And um, I just said, look, I'm here. You didn't ask for your problem, but you didn't know who's going to step up to the plate. Mm. So you reach out, people reach out. So you, sometimes you have to do things, even if it's, you know, you may feel uncomfortable doing it. I just think it's really important that you have that positive mindset that, yeah, we can get through this and you know, help people. Don't even think twice about it. Just say, I'm here. Mm. Even if it's just to listen. So just treat every day like it's your last and enjoy it to the full. And then the next day, it's like Groundhog Day, but a real life Groundhog Day. You just, it's not the same day, it's a different day. Just mm. different Groundhogs. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the time, enjoy the physicality. It's enjoy powerful. everything. Enjoy everything. Just really mm. just go gangbusters on really having a fulfilling life and mm. doing things that you want to do. So that means making time. And we're all now post-COVID learning a new way of living. Whether or not you're, you know, working in retail, whether you're working in a factory, whether you're, you know, a home worker, everyone's lives have been impacted. But the one thing that's a common thread for all of us is don't waste the time you've got. Live it to the full. Do stuff that makes you feel happy, not that pays the bills. Yes, pay the bills, of course, but do more to make you feel happy because that'll make you a better person mm. and actually enable you to deal with difficulty, trauma, stress, problems far, far better. Not everyone can say that, and I know that. And I do get quite upset with the fact that there seems to be a bit of a forgetfulness of those who are least able to help themselves that need the most help, that they can be the bedrock and the value that we actually rely upon in society. You've got to remember those people. Mm. And with the, with, with the, uh, you know, with the, the being happy, because I think a lot of people see earning and being happy is two separate things but something i've you know realized recently is that if that's the case for me then i'm not doing the right thing you know because ultimately um and obviously you know we're, we're in property investment and that was like the kickstart to then allow me the time and and the energy to start realizing and i didn't know at the time what i was doing but i was starting to find out what i actually wanted to do with my life and what i actually wanted to sort of give yeah to others in terms of value and um i realized that you know we're going down the training route the coaching route that sort of thing and i realized that actually i really enjoy doing this and it can earn income so i, I you know i can create a lifestyle out of something that is business personal happy versus absolutely income. Yeah, and that, you've gone down that road and that's a really good road because you're sharing your knowledge you're sharing the the, the the magic recipe of how you can be a better you doing what you do which is great you're giving people who are willing to learn that the opportunity it's brilliant mm. um, i do it through arranging finance and business now businesses most businesses in the uk are small very microcosmically small okay so what I do is help small businesses, as well as big ones. Um, but everyone, every business has people dependent on that. So families depend on a business surviving, okay? Because it's giving people a sense of purpose, a sense of hope, a sense of opportunity to give them jobs that they feel fulfilled in, valued, 
It's a, it's a family. Every business is a family. And I say that very deliberately. All networking is a family. If you can, if you can find people that you can really help and bond with, they'll be with you for life. They'll be loyal friends or loyal advocates or loyal supporters or loyal workers. They would, they would absolutely walk on hot coals for you. Why? Because you're giving something that makes them feel valuable. You're giving them their dignity. You're giving them an opportunity. Too often, we hear in life, you know, what about me? Or people feel that they're being left out because, you know, it seems that society is only favouring, you know, I'll use the phrase, the God of mammon. That's a very powerful phrase. Okay, and I'm not being religious. I'm being a-religious here completely. But that God of mammon, whatever that God is, is not necessarily a good God. Um, humanity relies on self-sufficiency working collaboratively, not against each other. So if we can be better people in our own small way, we do it collectively. Lots of small things make a very big thing. But we have to do it. And that requires good leadership from the top. So people have to run societies as well as businesses but you have to lead by example if you have bad leaders you have a bad society so i do my level best in my own very small microcosmic way to be the best person i can be and to help businesses in the best way i can help if i help them in a small way i'll get rewarded for it of course but it means i've kept people in work i've given that business the opportunity to create value elsewhere to give other people benefit so for me, I'm, 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 I'm like the fuel that feeds the circularity of life. Money is a, is, a, is a powerful tool, but it can be your enemy as much as it can be your friend. Only if you effectively treat money as the be all and end all. It isn't, it's a facilitator. I'll go back to what I said earlier. All money does is enable you to do what you want to do more of it. Mm. Whether that's looking after your family, looking after your children, looking after you know, elderly parents, whether it's you know donating to charity, giving giving time, having the ability to make time, which you give freely, all of those money facilitates all of those things. It's not an enemy; it's your friend if you treat it right. If you don't treat it right, it'll be your worst enemy, and then you will be like Nelson Rockefeller, looking over your shoulder, counting your money, Rebenezer Scrooge, even worse. I know a fictional character, but don't be like that. Think think how you can best use the money to make you a better you. Buys you time, gives you opportunity to be the person you want to be without that burden of money, because you're giving time, which you can't buy. You can't buy health either. Yeah, it's true, yeah. It just provides you with the options. I mean, that is uh, it's, uh, probably a good point to, to wrap up, actually. It was really kind of powerful to, to hear your story, Mike, and I think, you know, for people listening, it's it just goes to show that, you know, think I, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And I really do believe that the universe has a plan, an overall plan that none of us will ever know or understand, but it's happening for a reason. And, you know, these things that happen to people at whatever stage of their life is happening for a reason. It's an awareness thing. It's teaching a lesson. And ultimately, until we learn the lesson, it will keep presenting us with potentially the same challenges. But I think there's there's a lot of people out there that would you know resonate with 
with losing a parent because you know most people their parents pass away before they do um but i think at such a young age to take on the burden of then being the breadwinner for the entire house and household including your parents is quite a quite a humbling thought never mind having to go through it not just for you but for your parents too because as parents it's you're a provider to to your child and that would take its own element of you know uh acceptance that i'm sure wasn't easy for your parents to to do but i think it, it's, it absolutely was not i can assure you but i think that it's amazing to to hear that you know what a lot of people might have seen as a reason to be knocked over you know dropping out of university not finishing the degree parents both having health issues in in very quick succession one of them passing away could have led some people down the path of i, I give up you know, I, I don't know where to go, but it's amazing to hear that you actually thought, well, actually, I, I don't know where to go. So, in fact, I cannot give up. It's the complete opposite of what I must do, which is really empowering, Mike. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm going to finish with two things because the circle of life comes back again. So fast forward from my parents, my mum's demise back in 1978 to 2017. Uh, or 2020, I should say. 2017, my father-in-law died. And my mother-in-law literally had a, a suitcase by the front door. She lived around the corner from us and said, I'm here. She never came. She never left home. She came to ours and that was it. Um, unbeknownst to us, we'd had an inkling on it, but she had vascular dementia. And dad had been, you know, my father-in-law had been looking after her for years. I mean, you know, my wife's parents became my surrogate parents because my, you know, my dad died in the, in the early 90s. Unfortunately, um, you know, he, he went through a lot of trauma after mom died and he really couldn't reconcile himself to it. He was really a troubled soul, poor man. Nothing we could do about it. But we were there for him and eventually he found peace, thank goodness, in the last few years of his life. So he was able to reconcile everything. I'm very glad that you know we stayed close and I didn't abandon him. You know, he didn't abandon me. So, you know, that's powerful. So it goes full circle again. So you know, my father-in-law died of prostate cancer, ironically. I mean, I've had it myself now just 18 months ago, deep joy. Um, but I'm, I'm okay. I got, you know, I was, got out early, thank God. Um, so mum landed on the doorstep and she had dementia. So we were still both still working. So we were working full-time and looking after her as full-time carers for three and a half years. You know, you know not making a big thing of it. And then COVID came, we got it, she got it, she fell downstairs, broke her hip, took her to hospital on the first day of lockdown, 23rd of March, 2020. And I was the last person to see mum alive because we couldn't, back, couldn't go back and see her. She had a hip operation, successful, got COVID in hospital, lost life. Mm -hmm. So things come in like buses, they do come, but they don't always come together. They come at different times. So that bus came back again. And that for me is something that is really that and you know my, my my cancer diagnosis has made me realize i've got to fill my life full of stuff help people and make time for me and my family as well so my time is much more spread now so i don't i work really hard when i'm in my business but i don't work at it like a slave i do what i want to do and two things to finish with say no a lot why? 
because people will waste your time if you let them. Only work, only do things you want to do and do them to the best of your ability, whether it's personal or business. Say no a lot. If you don't want to do it or you think it's not right, say no. It saves you a lot of time and aggravation. And the other thing I'm going to leave is a question, which is anyone who watches this, if you knew what was coming for the rest of your life, how would you feel about it? I know what I would say. I don't want to know because every day is a new challenge. But if you knew what your life map was, how scared would you feel? Mm. Powerful how question. Scared yeah. would you, feel? you know yeah. what actually comes to mind for me? <laughs> because it genuinely scares me and it's not a health thing. But it's the uh, it, it's the the resorts, the hotels and resorts. Because every time I think about sort of growth and business, and I've gone through various stages of that, um, but getting to the point of thinking, you know, we're gonna get these hotels and resorts open fifty locations in the next five years. I don't know whether we're gonna do that or not, but that's the goal we've set. And I think the fact that I'm not attached to it happening is why it's going to happen. But the thought, if I was to because this comes up a lot in in you know coaching and training, and I hear people when they come into property or our events, they think about what about when this happens and this happens, and I got to get the finance, and I got to get this, and then they're going to want to see this, and they're going to want to see this and this, and then I got to get planning, and we think whoa 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 that's step thirty five or forty even. What about step one? Just pick the phone up and dial a, dial the estate agent's number. <laughs> Simple as that. And I think that, you know, in line with what you're saying there, I, I'm the same. I'd rather just think, well, yes, I've got goals. I don't know what they're actually going to end up being. I don't know what challenges I'm going to have to face along the way. But I just know yeah. that if I keep myself in the right shape physically and mentally and yeah. around the right people, then I'll find a way to deal with them. I'll learn the lesson. I'll overcome the challenge and whatever that presents, it presents. But but no, thanks very much, Mike. That was that was really uh, really interesting story, and and it's um, it's amazing to just you know see when people use challenges that have happened in their life and what could be perceived difficulties to then just think, well, that's the re not I'm not going to be held back by that. It's actually the reason that I'm now going to progress and be successful. And I think for me, what I took away from that is you know, uh, add lots of value, add as much value as possible to as many people as possible. And uh, the one that is going to be ringing through my mind and my ears is that money is a facilitator to do more good. And I think that if if that was the only thing that people took away from from this episode, then I think it would be worthwhile. So yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I'm sure that when the time comes, we'll we'll have you on again to uh, dig a bit deeper into some of those stories. But I appreciate you sharing and for your transparency and your honesty to go to those uh, emotional places. Thank you very much, Mike. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, John, for listening intently and being um, a good questionnaire answer person because people don't always ask the right questions. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. 